Hello. All right. Every time I get up here, I almost don't know where to start because so much just keeps happening all the time. But that's okay, because what have I got? My post-it notes. <laughs> I do that for your benefit, believe me. All right. Okay. Um, all right, so what... Um, I had no idea what I was going to be talking about today. Uh, and then the Lord, you know, he quickened something to me and he, he, he quickened something to me about war and how he wages war. Now, this happened about a week before all of the stuff broke out in Israel. So this is not connected to what, well, as far as I'm concerned, what I'm about to say today is not connected to that. Um, but I do believe that he brought it up for a reason because the, what I want to share today concerning his perspective on war actually helps guard our hearts. Because war preaches, especially when it's something that is completely outside of your control. So I'm going to be talking about a few different things today um, that I really believe is, is timely for what was about to unfold after he spoke about war. So, all right. Hmm. One of the reasons why I think understanding war from his perspective, because really there is no other perspective. It's what the Lord defines as war, right? Because what our understanding of war determines our positioning. And our positioning determines our, our welfare. So I, I really do feel like it was the mercy of the Lord to begin to speak on something that was, you know, in light of what, what was erupting across the globe. Okay, so when, when I sat down to prepare this, um, I was like, okay, where do I start? I mean, war is a massive subject. And the Lord dropped a saying um, that I've heard many times. You know, there's a saying that says, you know, there's always two sides to a story right? And then there's another one that says there's three sides to a story, your side, my side, and then the truth. And then there's a saying that says, let God be true and every man a liar. I just want to address something. My right eye has not stopped twitching. I feel like I'm always, okay, I'm not winking at you, okay? If you see my right eye twitching, I am not sending you messages. <laughs> just, it's so strong that I'm trying to do this, like, <laughs> all right, so just disclaimer, I'm not winking at anybody. It has its own mind at the moment. Okay. Okay. <laughs> There's a few things that are triggering me. My right eye twitching and the fact that this would not conform today. <laughs> Do you see this? This is not what was meant to happen. <laughs> but anyway, all right. See, I feel better if I get it out because I'm an external processor. So if I if I if I name it, if I call it out, then you don't get to think it first. All right. <laughs> so going back to war. All right. So <laughs> so usually wars are fought over someone protecting their version of truth. Okay. And I'm going to I'm going to speak about it today on on big scale and then you know small scale. But everything about war, usually the reason for war is to protect someone's version of truth. Um, and if you, when you downscale that, that looks like your position in an argument, um, your position in a, you know, in your, first of all, your ego, as something, an area of life that you're struggling with. It always comes back to our version of truth. Now, I usually talk about the heart. I usually talk about the fear of the Lord. They're, they're my two favorite subjects. So today is the same, but not really. It's, it's quite different. And today is meant to be an encouragement, by the way. It's meant to be an encouragement. When, when, when the Lord dropped in my spirit, um, I don't even know what I was doing that day. I think I was cooking or cleaning. I don't know. No, definitely wasn't cooking. I was cleaning. So I was cleaning. Um, and when he, when he dropped in my spirit about his truth, about what, you know, what the truth of waging war is, I was actually really encouraged. I felt weightless immediately. And that's what the word of the Lord should make you feel. It should make you feel completely untethered to what the natural says is true. So today's meant to be an encouragement. Okay. So the desired outcome of war is usually what people would say to, to bring, you know, peace. But peace outside of the Lord is deception. Okay? So when we're fighting for something based on our truth, we begin in deception. And then the peace that we are seeking 
is only deception because anything outside of him is not the truth. Okay, so peace outside of truth is deception. But that's actually not what, not what I'm speaking about today. All right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Now, before I continue, I just want to remind you guys, um, my greatest passion is to expose lies. That is, that is one of the... I get really excited about exposing lies. Um, and in conjunction with equipping people to understand the way darkness operates. It is something that I've always been passionate about. I've, I've, I've come into the understanding of what that looks like for my life over time. It's not like I knew it and that was my trajectory. What I actually wanted to do when I was younger, and I was, I was bent on doing this, I wanted to be a journalist back at high school. I wanted to be a journalist and um, I, I just wanted to go to the most dangerous parts of the world and because I felt like the truth wasn't being told. And um, has anybody seen... I've already asked this so many times. Okay, so if you've seen my big fat Greek wedding, you will understand. Um, so I remember saying this to my dad. I remember saying, I'm going to be a journalist. And my dad, this is what he said to me. He said, okay. He goes, once they've caught Bin Laden, then you can go be a journalist. So I waited couple of kids later, but actually when he got arrested, no, he got killed, didn't he? When he got killed, it was 2011, I think, I was two kids down, so then it was a bit inconvenient to pick up and go, I'm going to the other side of the world. Uh, but I just remember, and it wasn't, it wasn't like I had a heart for a particular group of people. I wasn't, think, back then I wasn't thinking about any of that. I wasn't even engaging in scroll. I didn't even, I'd never heard of scroll until I came to Field of Dreams. What I wanted was to expose the, the lie. Reveal truth. I'm actually going over there soon. We're a bit excited. But anyway. Um, not Bin Laden. Where's Bin Laden from? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not going there. I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> anyway. All right. doesn't matter. All right. This is why I do the post-it notes. <laughs> Otherwise, I say stupid things. <laughs> all right. Okay. So going back to uh, war and defending or pr- trying to protect our version of the truth and, and claiming that we're doing it to bring levels of peace is deception because anything outside of his truth is deception, right? And especially if we're trying to, trying to achieve a particular outcome, right? Because then you move into levels of manipulation and abdication. But again, that's not even what I'm talking about today. I just can't help myself. Okay, I want to talk about what waging war, what it's supposed to be, what its design actually is, and what we make it. That's actually what I want to talk about today. Because when we don't, when we don't understand how war works, we don't understand the Lord's design for war and waging war, because they're two different things, um, it actually becomes detrimental to us. How? Because when we abdicate, yeah, let me say this first, otherwise it's not going to make sense. Okay. See that? <laughs> I'm trying to read and my eyes doing this. All right. When we resort to our version of the truth, somebody's paying the price. Our version of the truth. Somebody's paying the price. And if you dig down deep, like if you look past the surface level, you go down deep of when you are pushing your version of the truth on someone, in a way, you are actually abdicating because you are abdicating from the, tru- the responsibility of truth. Okay? And when you do that, you're, you're illegit... Blah, blah, blah. I'll just stick to words I can say. You are illegally or illegitimately distributing the weight of your abdication onto somebody else. That's what you're doing. Now, abdication, if up until now, you, whenever you think your association with abdication is you just shirk responsibility, that is a form of abdication. And this is no different. It's just looking at it from a slightly different angle. Abdication doesn't just mean shirking responsibility. It means distributing weight illegitimately to somebody else, weight that you're, you're responsible for, right? Now, when kings abdicate, they, you know, they give up the throne, but they also lose their rights. So when we abdicate through disassociation or self-protection, we also lose our rights to justice and resolution. That's how it works. Now, Christina, what, what, why are you even talking about this? How does this even tie in with war? Well, number one, it produces cycles of pain, frustration, 
disappointment, loss, if we stay in that vein. But how does it tie in with war specifically? Because ultimately, if we stay on that trajectory, we are waging war on whatever is threatening our truth. Okay? Now, anything that we conceal, anything that we don't bring out into the light to be scrutinized by the Lord, because in his light, you will see light. So the implication there is that you've actually got to bring something out of obscurity into the light. If we don't do that, if we continue to protect our version of the truth, we actually become an adversary unto ourselves. So I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. So if what I'm saying is true, if, if, if we wage war against the things that are threatening our version of the truth, and that is what consumes us, that means that all of our energy, our time, our resources, our emotion, our substance is being siphoned through that thing. So let me break it down. What does it actually mean to wage war? In modern day language, when somebody um, you know, talks about waging war, the synonyms, synonyms would be assault, attack, to bear arms, to brawl, to challenge, or to clash. Now, like I said before, today is about the Lord's design for war. And we only get the concept of waging war because he waged war first, right? It's not, it's not, it's not something we, we created ourselves. Now, I just read out a list of things that don't sound very peaceful, but the statement I want to make here is this. The first statement I'm going to make is, we only get the concept of waging war because the Lord did it first. And I'm going to follow that with, waging war is not the opposite of establishing peace. It sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. Waging war is actually to cause something to prevail. That's what the whole purpose of waging war is. How can I say that? Well, I'm going to break down the word for you in a minute because I'm not up to that yet in my notes. If we don't understand that, right, because we have learned in the natural, uh, you know, a basic human instinct to survive, when we hear war, we think that we need to protect and defend, and we, we don't associate war with peace. But when war is done according to the truth, it is actually to establish peace. It is not the opposite of peace. And when we don't understand that at a subconscious level, it actually keeps us in a state of survival. War will preach the need to survive to us. Now, what I want to quickly unpack here is what my opinion is around war and the church. This is my opinion, okay? I believe that the greater body, the church, their associate, the church's association with war is good versus evil, light versus darkness. That is not the war. That is the contrast, I'll say that again. Good versus evil isn't a war. Light versus darkness isn't a war. It's a contrast. The concept of war was never designed to be a resource for the enemy. It was never designed to land in in favour of the enemy. It's a contrast. The enemy waged war once. Todd covered it today. He waged war once, and that's when he decided that he was going to raise himself and be like God or greater, and he lost. It, it wasn't, there was no battle. There was no evidence of any battle or any struggle. It was, that's what he chose, and that's where it landed, right? Okay, so that is the truth of war when it comes to the enemy. I want to just finish this point here by just just going a little bit deeper, um, just for a couple of seconds. The enemy's only resource for war is our will and our agreement. I'm not parking here because you guys know this. That's the only resource that he has, which is why when he came to Eve in the garden, all he had was the power of suggestion. That's all he had. That was his only resource for war. And he tried it again. When in Jesus' fasting season in the wilderness. Purely suggestions. Okay, let's go back to waging war. 
Now, the word war in the Old Testament um, describes the engagement of conflict. That's what the word means, right? It actually describes the fighting component. <clears throat> but in, the, in that original word, so the, the, the word for war in the Hebrew is milkormor, engagement of fighting. The root word of that is lorkam, I think. And that word, so the root word of the word war means to feed on, to consume, to battle unto destruction, to overcome and to prevail. That is the root word of the meaning war, okay? Now, the Lord led me down, um, I don't want to call it a rabbit trail because that's not what it was. It was a vein. The Lord led me down a vein specifically around prevailing because it was a word that he used again, right, in the New Testament, describing the church again um, in regards to hell. So I, I want to focus on prevailing for a minute. The word prevail here actually means forcefulness. It means ability, might, power, and strength. That's the root word of the word war. Against the host of heaven, the enemy has no such ability. Okay? So the truth about war or what we think is what good versus the war of good versus evil, which isn't a war, it's a contrast. The truth about that, according to the Lord, is that the, the root word of war is to prevail. It means forcefulness, ability, strength, might, and power against the host of heaven and everything concerning heaven, which is you and me, the enemy has no such power. Right? So it's not a war. Okay. The only time that that doesn't go, you know, um, our way is when we take the fight off of heaven's floor unto ourselves. That's the only time. That's what Eve did. Okay? Eve stepped out of the, the, the design of, of Eden, heaven's trading floor, that manifested as even, even. It's all right, you can laugh. It's okay. If you said it, I'd laugh. <laughs> Even, anyway. <laughs> Eden. And she took on, well, she partook of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that's what crushed her. It was the weight of the knowledge of good and evil that crushed her. Okay. So whenever we step out in disobedience, we are taking the war, we are taking fight off of heaven's trading floor onto ourselves, there, if you read the history of Israel, now I'm not trying to be insensitive because I know what's happening over there right now, but I'm just, he gave me this before all of that broke out, right? So if you look at the history of Israel, there were wars. There are so many accounts of them being involved in wars. There were wars that they should never have won, but they did. And there were wars that they should have won, but they didn't. And the common denominator there was the voice of the Lord. That was a common denominator, right? Or the absence of. So again, so I'm, I'm putting a few things up on the board and I'm going to tie them all up at the end. So going back to war causing something to prevail. So I said before that waging war is not the opposite to establishing peace and this is um, true for when we do it the Lord's way. All right. I want to unpack now, like actually in Scripture, the Lord's design for waging war. Can we please put up that Deuteronomy 20, 10 to 12, please? Okay. So this is the instruction. When you go near a city to fight against it, then, then proclaim an offer of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but war against you, then you shall besiege it. Okay. So here it is in black and white. This is the Lord's strategy for waging war, okay? So I'm going to go into a couple of things that he said before this, but right now I want to talk about this. This is how the Lord wages war. It starts off with the word of the Lord, right? Because right before this, it says, the priest will come to you and tell you, then you go and approach your city, right? So it starts with the word of the Lord, the sons of God led by the Spirit of God. Then it is followed by a, a declaration of peace, that's his strategy right there. It says it right there. You will go to the city that you plan to take and you will make a declaration of peace. Now, peace does not mean kumbaya, white picket fence, we're going to dance around in a circle around the fire. 
and that's a bit ritually. Um, you know what I mean? Like, that's not peace. I'm not, I'm not thinking peace like that. Peace is actually truth. Peace is the establishment of truth. That's the only way to, to, to gain peace, achieve peace, right? So his standard is you will make a declaration of peace. So when the Lord wages war, he's raising a standard. So he presents a standard, he presents a declaration of peace, which creates opportunity, right? And then if anything opposes or challenges or defies that standard, he besieges. Now, besiege, that word there, besiege means to cramp, to confine, to assault, to distress, to bind, and to fashion. Now, notice that the essence of that restriction there, the, 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 sorry, the essence of what besiege actually means is not destruction and death. He's not saying go in there and just take them all out. There are times that he has said that. That's not what he's saying here. You shall make a declaration of peace based on the word of the Lord. You shall make a declaration of peace. And if it is challenged or opposed or if they, you know, buck up against that and rebel, then you shall besiege it. And besiege means to cramp, to confine, to assault, to distress, to bind into fashion. It is the, the process of restriction and incapacitation. That's what he's saying. You shall restrict and incapacitate. Now, where does the destruction come into it? I'm going to read it exactly as he gave it to me. The destruction and annihilation comes through the prevailing, which is the establishment of peace. I'll say that again. The destruction and the annihilation comes through the prevailing, the establishment of peace. Because the restriction that we just read, the restriction facilitates... Now, I'm, I'm, I'm just unpacking Deuteronomy, but you can apply this across the board. You can apply this to the inner world. You can apply this to external conflict. You can, you can apply this everywhere. So the restriction that he's saying besiege facilitates a process of pressure. And it's ongoing pressure. Because it's not like besiege it and then let go when it gets too hard. It's you shall besiege it. You shall confine and constrict and distress, right? So the restriction facilitates a process of pressure to cause something to be conformed and yielded through the assault of confinement, binding, cramping and distress. So until the power source of the defiance or the fight is choked out, a.k.a. destroyed. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. As I was unpacking this, the Lord said to me, that, that window of opportunity, you shall make a declaration of peace based on the word of the Lord, not your value system, right? So let's not, and I have learned this the hard way so many times. It's not our truth, it's the Lord's truth. So when we make, when we get the word of the Lord and we make a declaration of peace to achieve something, so it's not like we're asking for, for permission for the, the word of the Lord to be established. We're making a declaration of peace and it is the window of opportunity that becomes no man's land. It's that window of opportunity where the invitation is, the responsibility is, where abdication will not fly. The, that no man's land, that opportunity is that we have an ear to hear and we have a heart that is inclined. Because if we don't, we end up on the wrong side of the fence of the besiegement. Anything that your heart is attached to, that the Lord is rendering any level of judgment on, will get caught up in that. This is meant to be encouraging. Hold on. It's getting better. Okay. So it's actually very empowering because I love truth. I love information. So when I see something like that, if I feel that I'm brought in and I'm given insight into the Lord's strategy, then I'm empowered then to look for it in, in everything that I, I – well, it gives me an opportunity to then identify and recognize what it is that he's doing. So – it's in that, that middle space where the Lord's wanting to establish something that we have the opportunity to align ourselves to that declaration of peace, cause whatever in our world is raising up against it, bring that into submission 
because eventually it will be choked out, which is the same thing as saying it is better to be broken on the rock than for the rock to crush you to powder. It's the same thing. Okay. Now, there are different types of war. I'm going to make this really quick. There are different types of war. There are wars against enemies, so that's external, and then there are wars against ourselves. And it's important to understand the difference. This is my opinion. Wars against the enemy or enemies are so much simpler. They're much more straightforward. Because, let's, let's go, um, I want to use the beginning of um, that chapter. Can we go to Deuteronomy 20? I think it's one. That, yep, yep, yep. Is it? Yes. Mm, yes, that's the one. Beautiful. So this is a few verses back. So this is why I think war against an external enemy is so much easier. So this is, what, this is what he's saying to his people. When you go out to battle against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people, and he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid, and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is for the Lord for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. That, that's, that's, it's all there in one package. So he's saying, don't take into account what your eye sees in the natural. Right? He goes to the trouble of actually you know, bringing all the possibilities before them. When you are on the verge of battle, just know that it's me that goes out before you. The battle's not a surprise to me. It is me that goes out before you. I will fight for you and I will save you. He separated the two. Now, the gold nugget there is that we have to allow the Lord to lead us into battle. So any war against an enemy is much more straightforward and simple if we just stick with the Lord's plan. What he's asking for is us to trust and allow him to lead us, right? And it's funny because, you know, Todd was talking today about how had they gone with what the natural was telling them about the submarine, that that would have had a devastating effect, right? So, um, yeah, all right. Now... If we allow the Lord to lead us into battle concerning an enemy, we have the assurance that everything's going to be okay. That's what he's saying here, right? That there is nothing to fear and do not be intimidated because the Lord who goes before you is the Lord who fights. And it's interesting that he always takes it back to Egypt. I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt because Egypt was a massive flex, he uses the same word there when he says to fight for you. It was the same word in Exodus 14 where he says to Moses, don't go on dry land. Let me lead you to this impossible space here on, on this beach because I want to flex. I want to show Pharaoh my glory and I will fight for you. That word there means to consume. It means to complete. So what he did on that day, and I've preached on this before, he basically created a scenario that it was undeniable that everything that represented slavery regarding the Israelites were consumed in an, in an instant, in a moment. So he kept referring back to that marker. Is everyone okay? Okay, very good. So I, I believe that when there is a, any time where there is um, battle with the enemy, if we just stick, to the bandwidth which the Lord has given us, our lane, you can't lose. Now, and of course, I mean, I'm not going to go into this, uh, but the easiest way to be comfortable with not being led by what your eye sees is the fear of the Lord. And we know that through Isaiah 11.3, where it said, when it was prophesying about Jesus and the sevenfold spirit of the Lord, it says, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. It's the only one that it really expands on. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge, I'm paraphrasing here, he will not judge by what his eye sees and what his ear hears. So he's saying it again here, just don't take the natural into um, account. And that requires a, a real carving out and a cultivation of the fear of the Lord. Okay, now, so I said there were two different types of um, wars. One was external, one was internal. 
So let's quickly look at the internal one. You know, the Greeks have a saying. You'll have noticed that we've massaged a few of our sayings into the FOD vernacular. But there's another one you probably haven't heard. It's a, uh, I'm not going to say it in Greek because I don't quite know how to properly. But there's a, a saying that says you fight with your own clothes. You fight with your own underwear. Right? And that's describing a, a process where somebody just gets their knickers in a knot. That's, is that it? Is that the... Yeah, there it is. Okay. <laughs> it just dawned on me right now. See, we too have... Yeah, okay. All right. Nick used to call me Desert Storm. Because I used to get so worked up about something and Nick would just stand still. He would just stand still and just watch me. And he goes, he goes, you know what, babe? He goes, you're like the Tasmanian devil. He goes, you start over there and by the time you've come here, you've done so many roundhouse kicks and punches and twirls and the dust is everywhere and you think there's a war and it's just you. <laughs> it's true. It's true. All my friends aren't saying a word. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> okay. Now, the war internally. Now, this is, so the war against ourselves is what I want to call it. Now, this one here is the one that causes the most damage. This one here is, is the most dangerous because it's the only war that the Lord can't save you from. Because he won't ever go against your free will, right? There are many scriptures that describe this reality about how the, the, the inner war is, you know, detrimental and the most damaging. But I'm only going to stick to a few, and I'm going to go through these really quickly. So can we put up um, 1 Peter 2.11? So it says here, um, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Okay? Literally says it there. Keep away from fleshly lust because they wage war against your soul. Now, what I want to point out here is please don't mistake the word lust here for sexual sin. It is not limited to sexual sin. It's easy when we read a verse and we go, lust, oh, that's not me. That's, that's for someone else. No, I want to unpack lust for a second. Lust actually means longing. It means forbidden desires. Obviously, it fits into that category as well. But its root meaning means to set the heart upon, to covet. And there are many things that you can set your heart upon. So that's what it's talking about. So be mindful of what you set. That's what he's saying to us. Be mindful of what we set our heart upon because it has the ability to wage war against your soul. And then um, in Acts 9.5 where Saul is on his way to Damascus and he encounters the Lord, so Saul before Paul um, I'm going through this very quickly. You know, you can obviously read and refresh your memory later. But, you know, in this particular portion I want to talk about here is when he's blinded by the light. And then the Lord says to him, because he says, um, you know, who are you? And he goes, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, I want to unpack that really quickly. Very, very quickly. I'm going to machine gun you. You ready? All right. It is hard means violent, harsh, and stern. To kick means to recalcitrate, which means to have an uncooperative attitude towards authority or discipline. To buck, to protest, or resist. Stubborn opposition. The goad is, um, was a tool used by farmers to guide the oxen, right? And it was like a, like a, a stick, like a big, um, sharp thing, right? Um. And that word there, goad, was used only twice in Scripture, in the New Testament. It was here, and the only other time it is used in 1 Corinthians 15, where it talks about death, where is your sting? So it was a sting. It looked like a prick, right? So it is hard for you to kick against this, this sting. So the only other time is it, it, it's associated with death. So basically, my interpretation of this in, in relation to a sin waging war against our soul, and not just sin, he's talking here about why are you persecuting me? The word persecuting, the Lord could have used any word. So when he comes up and he blinds him on the road to Damascus, he says, why are you persecuting me? He could have said, because he was a mass murderer, he could have said, why are you, why are you mercilessly killing innocent people? He didn't speak directly about the act. He went straight to the motivation of the heart. And the motivation of Saul's heart was persecution. 
And persecution, the root word of that means to, to fear and to dread. So when we persecute somebody, the motivation is we are actually fearing something. So the Lord went straight to the heart of the matter. He went straight to the motivation of his heart, right? So anyway, so here the Lord's talking about at a heart level, not the outworking of a particular act. So when it says here, it is hard for you to kick against the goads, what the Lord is saying there, in my opinion, is this. It is very harsh and violent for my soul to buck and resist yielding my ways to the Lord as he tries to guide me and cause me to build in the direction that keeps me from the sting of death. Okay, that's another way that we can keep our soul from, that we can keep from waging war against ourselves. Now, remember at the beginning, I was talking about the meaning of waging war. And I read out a list, and that list had words like assault, bare arms, brawl, challenge, and clash. These are pretty much all represented here in that one statement from the Lord to Saul. Now, let's do one more. Matthew 26, 52. So this is when, um, this is when the betrayal unfolds. Um, and at this moment, someone who was with, you know, part of Jesus' team pulls out his sword and cuts off the soldier's ear. And Jesus says to him, to the guy on his side, says, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Now, I'm going to unpack that a bit more in a second. Now, I've heard people take this. So this is just for, for me now. I'm just, I just want to talk. So I've heard people take the scripture um, out of context, in my opinion, and they've reduced it to, oh, this is about violence and Christians shouldn't be involved in any level of violence. Now, I'm not going to get into that. I'm talking about, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter what I'm talking about. I think it's a very, I think it's a very, um, I, I think that's an interpretation that really lacks insight. I think it, it, call, it allows people to abdicate. I think it's a religious interpretation of that scripture. That's what I think. Because the Lord can be very violent. He, well, in Exodus 15, we're told that he's a man of war. Okay. Now, I looked up that, I did a bit of, bit of research around what does it mean that he's a man? No, okay, no, no. I'm, I'm going to run out of time. Okay, going, going, back to, going back to the sword, all right? Going back to the scene of betrayal, where Jesus says, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword, or all who live by the sword, depending on what translation you're reading, will perish by the sword. Now, the word sword um, obviously means like it's a, it's a weapon, it's a dagger, it's a sword, but the, the, um, it's a derivative of a Greek word that actually means judicial punishment. Okay? Now, going back to violence the Lord way, the Lord is violent. He's a man, he's a man of war. And judicial punishment is something that he exists by. He lives by. It's called judgment. But judgment was never meant for man. Judge, we, we entered the arena through the fall. Right? So, I'll say that again. Judgment wasn't God's insurance against humans when he put them on the earth. If they're naughty, I'm just going to smack them with a judgment. Judgment was designed to punish principalities and powers. But through the fall, we entered the arena. Yep. And so he allows us to reap the harvest of our own ways. So when we invoke judgment... It is because we have planted the seeds and we've stewarded the seeds and we've invested in that. Okay, so going back to the, um, going back to the betrayal scene. Jesus was obviously figuratively speaking here. <clears throat> so I said to you the word sword means um, it's a tool, as in a weapon, and it means judicial punishment. And I said it's a, a, a derivative. Um, the, another word that it's, a, it's also a derivative of means controversy, which, mean, which is associated with you know, quarrel and dispute. So when I was doing this, and this is not what my preach is about, but I just wanted to add it here. When, when I was doing this, he spoke to me and he said, so when you actually fight for your truth in a quarrel or a dispute, you will, you will perish by that quarrel and that dis- dispute if truth is never brought into the center of that. 
There is always loss attached to that. You will spend the rest of your days navigating that battlefield. So the verse is describing a spiritual dynamic of trading floors. Jesus ensured that it stayed on heaven's trading floor by saying, put your sword away. This is not where the battle is. So by instructing the man to put his sword away, he made sure that it stayed on heaven's trading floor. If we don't, if we get caught up in the, in the quarrel, the dispute, we remain in a place of survival. After my preach of survival, of, I don't know how many weeks ago it was, a lot of people came up to me and said, I've never heard of survival that way. This is another way to look at survival. Okay? So we're always going to be constantly caught in a, in a battle of navigation and, and survival, if, and we never arrive because peace outside of his way is deception. Okay? So we can spend our lives fighting for a peace that doesn't exist. Now, on that, his, he was very clever with his words. Not clever in a, I'm not, not talking about it in a um, sneaky sort of way, but the Lord was very intentional about every word that he said, obviously. The word perish, the word perish there means to lose, to be put off, to be separated, re, to be put in reversal, or to cease. It doesn't mean die, right? Now, what's interesting here, so he said, don't live by the sword, because if you live by the sword, you will perish by the sword. You will. So, so what he's saying here is, everything that our hearts desire, which is to thrive, to grow, to develop, to connect, to be grafted in, that's our heart's desire. If we live, if we live fighting a battle outside of heaven's trading floor, it always achieves the exact opposite, because you will perish by the sword. You will perish by the quarrel, is what he's saying. And again, perish means to lose, to be put off, to be separated, to be put in reversal. All the things that represent bad times. Now, really quickly, I just want to mention here, um, I don't know if, if how many of you guys were here when Dan Deval spoke about the Judas Gate. Does, who was here? That's like, yep. Um, anyway, so I'm not going to go into it. But basically it was a few years ago, basically he was saying that Judas wasn't, uh, Judas was, was the, the, the launch for Jesus' promotion. Now that's his, it was an amazing teach, but that's it in one sentence, right? So anyway, so as I was doing this, um, I, just, I just wanted to just to quickly touch on that because that is what, that is the middle ground. Remember I was talking before about declaration of peace and the opportunity to hear and lean in and then comes the besiegement. A lot of us get caught with our Judases. Judas was not, Judas was the catalyst of the cross, but he wasn't the cause of the cross. Jesus was always going to go to the cross. That was always the plan. So the war, that's why Jesus said, put your sword away, because the war wasn't there. The war was actually in the garden when he was wrestling his will. That's where the war was. Didn't involve the enemy at all. The enemy had no say in that war. It was Jesus surrendering his will. So the cause of so, so the cause of the cross was not Judas, he was just a catalyst. He's the one that, if it wasn't Judas, it was going to be somebody else, it was going to be through some other way, right? So the cause of war is always mandate. Jesus went to the cross because that was always the mandate. So the enemy tries to wage war. If you find yourself constantly in a state of survival, constantly in a state of war, he's probably using your Judas gate. I mean, I'm not going to... One day I'll share a story, but not today. Okay. So, and the reason why that prevails is because if we're not convinced of our mandate, if we're not convinced of our identity, we will be fighting the Judas with it, with a real war is not, and pulling it off of heaven's trading floor. And we will perish in that way. Okay? We, we will remain separated. We will remain cast off. We will remain in reversal. Okay, I'm going to land the plane now. Can we have the pads on, please? <laughs> I just wish there was like a timing where it just came on all by itself. <laughs> Thank you. Like I said, this was meant to be really encouraging because 
what I hope you heard in all of that was that war is very real concerning you. But if we do it the Lord's way, we don't feel a thing. All we feel is whatever it is that we have to cast aside that meant something to our hearts. Now, there's nowhere in Scripture that supports a concept of that the Lord doesn't allow our hearts to grieve something that was important to it. The instruction stands, the instruction is, this is not good for you. You need to lay this down. So when we realise what, what is actually waging war against our soul or against our heart or even something that's out of our control because it involves somebody else, each and every time the heart needs to be honoured, the heart needs to be processed. It's okay to grieve the thing that our heart was set upon. I mentioned before in that scripture where it says in, in 1 Peter, it talks about, um, you know, abstain from lust, fleshly lust, because that wages war against your soul. So many times when I've ministered to people, and this I learned this for myself first. So many times when I minister to people, we find it easy to separate ourselves from sin. Sin is here. Sin is bad. Everyone knows sin is bad. Here's a fence and everyone wants to be on God's side of the fence. And everyone wants to look at the sin from the other side of the fence and and almost be like a Pharisee against the heart and and vilify the heart and go, oh yeah, no, that sin is bad. I I, I disagree with that and, and, and that's disgusting. But if we don't address the heart and allow the heart to process why it engaged in the first place, we've trapped our heart on the other side and we vilify the heart. And the Lord, there is nowhere that supports that He's not okay with or He doesn't advocate for the heart to come through a grieving process. It says that He is near to the brokenhearted. So He chooses to be on this side with the heart and journey with the heart to this side. It's a transition. And most of the time, and like I said, I had to learn this for myself. Most of the time, we just need to give ourselves permission. Okay. So this is, so what do I really feel like the Lord is saying in all of this? I I feel like sometimes we don't understand what war actually is. And as a consequence, we withdraw from Him. I said before that if we don't understand the difference between war that is external and war that is internal, in that confusion, we'll hide, which is exactly what they did in the garden. As soon as they felt the crushing weight of the knowledge of good and evil, they hid and they covered. So we can withdraw from Him. And the consequence of withdrawing from Him is that we enter the war as an independent party. We enter the war as an adversary. We get caught up in the battle. We become a casualty of war because we're not resourced for that. We engage in certain death because it becomes a tree of knowledge. Anytime we withdraw from the Lord, we're partaking of the tree of knowledge. War was never designed for us. We entered it through the fall. But the Lord always provided through Himself, even after the fall. So before the provision of Jesus on the cross, He was the cloud. He was always the voice through the prophets. You know, I have been stuck in this whole Exodus story for like 18 months now. I feel like I was there. When he called the Israelites out of Egypt, he didn't wage war against Pharaoh. It wasn't God versus Pharaoh. Moses, he sent, you know what? Let let me share with you very quickly how I see that story. The Lord courted his people. He courted his people. He sent his Cupid, Moses, to Pharaoh with a message, with a love letter. A love letter for His people and a declaration of peace to Pharaoh. Let my people go. That was how the Lord waged war. Let my people go. Then He flexed His muscle through the plagues. He demonstrated His commitment 
to His promise, to the plan, undeniably. Now, Pharaoh chose to hold on to his goad. Pharaoh kicked that thing over and over and over and over again. Then the Lord deliberately led them to an impossible place. A place that, that they, literally the mountain ranges enclosed them in. There was like a really narrow path, like ambush central. But it was deliberate. There was a way. There was a way on dry land. It says in the Word that He bore them on eagles' wings. He brought them out of Egypt into the desert unto Himself on eagles' wings. Did you know He's a poet? Did you know what that means? The word bore means to magnify, to marry. It means to forgive and exalt and desire. It doesn't just mean to carry. So He took a bunch of slaves, because that's not how we saw them, and he bore them unto himself. It was an entire courting process. And he flexed his muscle in the process. He magnified them. He married them. He forgave them. He exalted them. And all because of desire for them. And then he said in Exodus 14, I will fight for you. I will consume everything concerning slavery for you. And it it was Pharaoh's Pharaoh was never meant to lose his kingdom. Pharaoh was it was written of Pharaoh to be leader of the superpower of the world back then. It was written of him to be Pharaoh. Pharaoh held onto his goad. He followed them out into the sea. He didn't see the middle ground when the declaration of peace came. He didn't see it. He bucked, followed them into the sea, and not only did he lose his kingdom, but he lost his life. He attached himself to the besiegement. I will fight for you is how the Lord wages war. And and we've I've just covered, I'm gonna I'm landing now. I've just covered really obvious um, or overt examples in the word that, that we can attach to war. But I just, what really ministered to me when I was, um, when he, when he, bang, when it hit me, when he gave me that word about waging war and what it means to him. And that's what I want to share. Um, so, you know what, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to share it with you, but I just want you to engage with him. Do it however you like. If you want to take your communion while I'm sharing with you, just, just, but I, maybe just close your eyes and just allow, allow, allow yourself to take it in through whatever sense is open to him right now. Just posture yourself completely relaxed and just, I just want to share with you just a few different things, examples of how the Lord wages war that we may not recognize. Because there's something about war that puts us into a state of hope and desperation or conviction. And that's not His design. So I want to share with you examples of when the Lord waged war that He didn't, that may not be easy to recognize. Well, I've already said, let my people go. When the Lord said, let my people go, He waged war. Remembering that waging war is a declaration of peace and anything that raises itself up against that will be besieged. Because the root word, the root motivation of war is to prevail. Let my people go was waging war. Mary, you will conceive and bear a son was waging war. Sarai, you will conceive and bear a son. That was waging war. Build an ark was waging war. You will be my people and I will be your God was waging war. Go walk in the land that I have given you was waging war. For I know the plans that I have for you is waging war. It's causing something to prevail. Peace be still is waging war. 
each one of these examples is the Lord raising a standard. A standard that caused mandate and purpose to prevail. That is the truth of war. Each declaration of peace that I've just read out that promised to besiege anything that opposed it. The threat of besiegement is always against principalities and powers. It's not against us. It only causes problems when we put ourselves in the way and we become hindrances. We enter the war as an adversary because of lack of understanding and relationship and knowledge. So as I'm saying this, if there's anything that's coming to mind of of where we have illegitimately put ourselves in the arena, just use that as an opportunity just to repent. This is Him bearing you on eagle's wings. He's not angry. He's romancing you. That's what the word means. It means to magnify you in that moment. It means to marry and forgive and exalt and desire you. Holy Spirit, right now, we thank you for anything that you are breathing on right now. We thank you that your your word that your word is not separate from living waters and as water always reveals true levels. Water reveals true plumb line. We thank you that your water now is infiltrating the deep chambers of our inner worlds and you will settle where you need to settle. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have never separated yourself. You have never separated yourself from us even in the fight. That you have never removed the love component of your plan for connecting with us even through the concept of war. We thank you that it is for our benefit that you veil yourself, that you give us opportunity through every declaration of peace. You give us opportunity to incline ourselves to you, to incline our ear. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. That we get to set our hearts and our affections on you. That if you derobed yourself, if you deveiled yourself, that we would be compelled to choose you. We thank you that everything you've ever done was always, always built on love. We thank you that your motivation for mankind has always been love. So anywhere that we have entered the arena of war based on our own value systems and understanding, we just repent right now. And we thank you that it is not just forgiveness that you offer, but you also journey. It is your desire through magnifying and, and, and marrying through your com- covenant with us that you want to journey the outworking of surrendering that thing to you that you're interested in the journey as much as the destination. Holy Spirit, we thank you right now that you are sealing everything that was spoken in your name through yourself right now. And we thank you that today in your light, We see light. Today you are exposing lies attached to the concept of war and battle. That what the enemy would use to preach fear and intimidation and hopelessness is the exact opposite of the one who 
defines what war actually is. taking your communion just in this atmosphere just grab your communion you can just lean into some of the truths that Christina just released as the Holy Spirit identifies those places in your inner world realigning parts of those places to the truth of who he is for you in that place. (laughs) 